If you're just joining us for the first time, let me catch you up real quickly. We are moving right along in a sermon series that we've entitled Learning to Pray the Lord's Way. And specifically, we have been walking through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. This is a, even if you're just a new Christian, this is just something that, that uh, you've probably heard a thousand times, right? When I first became a believer, I may have heard the Lord's Prayer uh, 50, 60, 70 times. I memorized it. Many of you have memorized it. Even now in our local communities and places where we're told that we cannot pray publicly, there's many people that still join together and pray the Lord's Prayer. And it blesses my heart every time I hear it. So we've been saying, let's slow down. Let's walk through this and let's say, what is, what is God, specifically His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, what is He trying to teach us in this prayer that we've prayed a thousand times? And so now we're in verse 12. We've gone through, uh, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And now, boom, verse 12. We're we're talking about uh, the title of our message is Forgiven to be Forgiving. Forgiven to be forgiven. We're going to be talking about forgiveness in the kingdom of God. I think this is, this is something that, uh, that, that our church and communities all over the world have made this word forgiveness. They've made it cheap. And we just talk about it all the time. And we don't ever consider what, it is, what is forgiveness? Why are we called to forgive? And why are, why are we also called to seek forgiveness if we've already been saved? These are some really important questions. But to get us ready for that, I want to give you something to think about. And instead of a question, today I'm going to make a statement. Here's the statement that I want to make. In the kingdom of God, any blessing that is entrusted to us has an ultimate purpose that is greater than us. Anytime God blesses you with anything, it has a greater purpose than just yourself. And the blessing that we're going to be talking about today is this blessing of forgiveness so that if God forgives you, it cannot cannot end with you. It can't. It has to go on to other people. The mercy that you receive is the mercy that you need to share. And here's what I believe. I believe we struggle with this idea for two main reasons. Number one, let's be honest, we're still sinners. All right, the Cedar Street Boys sang beautifully during revival that great song, Sinners Saved by Grace. Well, the grace has saved us, but the sin still indwells us. It means we're declared innocent, but we're still working that out in our lives. And so, because we're still sinful, we're still selfish. And selfishness will blind you to think that the problem in your life is the person who sleeps on the other side of the bed, the person who lives on the other side of the house, the boss that works on the other side of the building. It's not your problem, it's their problem. And the sin blinds us to our own problems. And then the second thing I would say, the reason why we have a tough time shifting from this idea of confessing sin, but also offering sin to other people, is we're American. Now, I believe America is the greatest country in the world. There's no other place I'd rather be. I I thank God every day for the freedom that I have to worship Him rightly. But America is also a a country that has stood on a principle of every man for himself. It's a capitalist, you know, economy. And, and, And I'm grateful. I think it's the best economy that we could possibly have because it makes people work hard to give us good products. But here's the thing. There's a spiritual economy in the kingdom of God that is different than the financial economy that we have here in America. It's not every man for himself in the kingdom of God. It's not. What we receive, we need to pass on in the kingdom of God. And that's a big shift. 
that many of us struggle with when we become Christians. It's not every man for himself. It's not dog eat dog. It's forgiven to be forgiven. So, what's the big idea? What do I want us to see as we open up verse 12 of Matthew chapter 6? In one sentence, I think I'd say this. Forgiveness is the currency of God's kingdom. And in order to receive it, we also must be willing to offer it. Currency. I've been using the word economy this morning. Everybody knows what currency is, right? Dollars and cents. Well, if you want to be a child in the kingdom of God and you want to pray the Lord's way, you need to share the currency of forgiveness. You need to receive it and you need to spend it by offering it to others. So, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Matthew, be in chapter 6. All right, if, uh, if you do not have one, grab the Pew Bible in front of you. It'll be uh, page 964 in your Pew Bibles. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word, we are in Matthew chapter 6. And as we've done each week, I'm going to read the whole Lord's Prayer and pray, but then we're going to focus in during our message on just verse 12. So hear God's word, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again we come to you today in love. Uh, We come to you today in desperation asking and seeking for your forgiveness, but also asking today as we consider the truth of your word that we would be enabled by your spirit to forgive others as well. This is a a tough topic, Father, and it's one that we've watered down, but forgiveness has not come cheap, it's not easy, and it's extremely important to be members in your kingdom. Father, would you help me today, would you help us today to look at this verse in a new, in a fresh way? We've said the Lord's Prayer so many times that we are just blind, we're numb to these words. Would you remove the numbness and let us feel the weight of what Jesus is teaching us in this passage? Be with us, I pray, in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Amen. So let me take just maybe 60 seconds here and connect the dots on where we were and where we are in the Lord's Prayer. So again, we've prayed these prayers for so long that we've become numb to them, but let's stop and think, all right? Week one was, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. All right, so if there was a key word for the first week that we were talking about the Lord's Prayer, that key word was Father. God is not only just your creator, but if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you can go to Him as a child goes to a father. That was week one. All right, so follow along in the prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our key word for that second week was the word surrender. When you become a Christian, it's no longer your kingdom, and it's no longer your will. It's the will of the Father, and it's the kingdom of God. And so we surrender and re-surrender. And I said that surrender is not something you just do with your day of salvation. Yes, there is an act of surrender when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But then there's a re-surrender and a re-surrender, not for salvation, but for growth in your relationship with God and in the process of being made more like His Son. So that word that we talked about was surrender. Last week, we got to that verse, give us this day our daily bread. 
And the word that we were talking about is dependence. So you have a father and you're surrendered to his kingdom and his will. And the way that you live in the kingdom, surrender to his will, is you depend on him to provide you what you need to do his will. So father, surrender, dependence. Three key words that link those first three verses of the Lord's Prayer. Now we get to these words that we've prayed a thousand time, t- times. So, and forgive us our sins, or in this uh, translation, debts, as we forgive the debts of others. And there's one word that I would use for this, and that word is mercy. Mercy. Forgiveness is merciful. Forgiveness is not something you ever deserve. God in His mercy decides to forgive you because... He's good, not because you're good. But if you're forgiven merely by the mercy of God, that mercy needs to be shown to others. So I want us to think about this word mercy. And as we walk through this passage, I'm only going to have two points today. Okay? So nobody's going to burn a casserole, I promise. But I'm going to use those two points, and I'm going to ask you in the form of a question, and then we're going to try to let Jesus answer the question. All right, so the first question I want to ask is this. Why do we need to receive God's forgiveness? Why do we need to receive it? All right, we're looking at the first part of verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So let's start at the beginning and forgive us our debts. I wish somebody would have explained this to me when I first became a Christian. I really do. I think pastors are obligated, if they're going to serve in this capacity, to constantly counsel and shepherd new believers to understand what happened at salvation and what happens now that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Nobody explained this to me 10 years ago when I became a Christian, and it confused me for a long time. So when you get saved, you pray and you ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and that you would receive the gift of eternal life, and that He would come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior. If you're a Christian and you're in this room, there's a point in your life where you prayed that prayer. Now, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's the faith that you express in that prayer. It's the grace that God offers. And salvation happens in a moment. And I'll take anybody to task. I believe salvation is a once saved, always saved principle. You cannot lose what you did not earn. You cannot be unborn again. Once you receive the Spirit of God, it's a one-time transaction. However, that is not the last time that you pray for your sins to be forgiven. Because even though you're saved, and even though you're a child of God, you're saved from the penalty of sin, but you're not saved from the presence of sin. Here's what I mean by that. Before you pray to receive Jesus Christ, God was your judge. And you were, you were guilty as you stood before God. Every single human being who has not received Jesus Christ is guilty and will die and go into an eternity away from God if their sins are not forgiven because God will judge your life based on his perfect standards of morality. That's serious. That's weighty. But if you've been forgiven, that legal status has been taken care of. You, are, you stand before God innocent because God reads the record of Jesus and says, that record now belongs to you. You're declared perfect by His blood. You're forgiven of your sins and you've been offered the gift of eternal life. Now many of us stop right there and we, we shout the name of Jesus and claim amen and we should. But sin has not left your mortal body just yet. And we will wrestle with sin the rest of our lives until we get to be with Jesus. And eventually in the new heavens and new earth, the Bible says that we're going to get a new body that will be incapable of sinning. 
But until then, here's the reason why you ask God for your forgiveness. Because that forgiveness is no longer a legal issue, it's a relational issue. All right, God is now your father and not just your creator, and there's nothing you can do to take away his love, but sin can really fracture your relationship with him. You can be a child of God, you can be truly forgiven, but you could be living in a season of sin and it crush your relationship with God. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's been so long since you've prayed. It's been so long since you've, you've read his word or spent any time with him or realized where you've gone wrong in your own life. And in the midst of that, you feel like God is a million miles away from you. And yet, he's still as close to you as the air you breathe. But the reason why you haven't experienced the sweetness with him is because where sin is, God cannot abide. He can't. He loves you. He desires a closeness with you. But he's not, you're not going to know his presence when you're living in sin. So you may be forgiven, but you will not know that sweet love that God has for you. And also, there's still punishment. Not eternal, but day-to-day punishment. Now, any of you who are parents know this. If you have a child, there's nothing that child could do to make you love them any more or any less, but there are things they could do that will bring a certain spanking to their backside. God is still in the spanking business, and he does so because he loves us, and I'm going to tell you, I don't enjoy God's spankings. I don't think any of you do. How do we avoid those? Well, there's the love of God, but there's the fear of God, and sometimes the fear of God tells me, I need to, I need to straighten up. I need to live the way God's called me to live. Even when God feels like he's a million miles away, my faith is more than just my feelings because your feelings will change as much as the weather does. But your faith cannot change. It can't change. It's constant. Your eyes are on the Lord Jesus Christ and sin will get in the way. And if we don't keep short accounts with God, we're going to drift. And we're going to experience so much pain. And we're going to experience so many trials that we would not have experienced if we, if we just would have drawn close to him. You know, um, I'm going to share just a few passages of Scripture and and at certain times in my life where God met me with this word. I remember one day I was reading from the Old Testament in my devotional time five or six years ago and still young in my faith. And I was just reading in the Old Testament the holiness of God and how, how, how he punished, severely punished his own people, the Israelites. And I remember thinking, man, I deserve a worse punishment than that. And in my devotional reading, I always read the Old Testament, the New Testament, and a psalm, right? So I got from that Old Testament, the first words I read in the New Testament were Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so it gave me a peace. And it made me realize, there's nothing good in me. My faith is simply the goodness of God. And if there's anything I bring to the table, it's sin. And I'm just asking God to forgive it. So I knew at that moment, there's nothing I can lose in terms of my salvation. But there is a lot that I can lose in terms of my sanctification, my growth in Christ. And what's the passage we read every Sunday? If we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 1 John 1.8. I mean, that's, it's just so hard as a pastor, I, I, there, there's no words in the, in the English language for me to, to appropriately articulate how holy God is. Because if we understood the holiness of God, we would never struggle to think about something we need to ask forgiveness for. 
I mean, I, I can think of thoughts or words or deeds or actions in the last 24 hours of my life that I know did not please God. I don't struggle to find ways to ask God for forgiveness. I need His constant forgiveness for me to walk a straight path. A, a lack of repentance is a lack of understanding of God's holiness. If we don't know His holiness, we'll never ask for forgiveness. And I'm just going to confess this. I think I've, I've shared it before behind this pulpit years ago when I first became a Christian. I was a member of that tiny little Lutheran church right when you come on 67 in Statesboro, St. Paul's Lutheran, right across from Custom Marine. And a tiny little church, I, I've mentioned this before, average age was 75 before I got there, and it's probably the same church now. That's a sweet church of, of uh, mature saints in the Lord. And in the Lutheran tradition, you read a lot of liturgy, and we read 1 John 1, 8 through 9, almost every week. And I would sit in the pew, and I would say, ah, here we go again. If we say we have no sin, we deceive. And I remember thinking, what did I really do wrong this week? I didn't kill anybody. I didn't steal anything. You know, I was, I was single at the time, so there was no infidelity possibility. I mean, <laughs> there's... I mean, what, I was sat in my apartment. I was working part-time at the Walmart distribution center. I was working as hard as I could work. I, I mean, what was I doing that was sinful? The closer that I get to the Lord, the, the brighter His light shines in some of the darkest places of my life. And I realize that Jesus cares more about the, the inward part of the man than the outward. And in the inward part, there are still things in my life, thoughts that I'm wrestling with, desires that I have that God does not intend for me to have, anger that comes out at the wrong times and in the wrong way, selfishness and insecurities that are wrapped up all in the 37 years that I've lived on this earth. And God's cleaning all that up. But I'm telling you, I'm still a mess. And guess what? So are you. All of us are. We're just one family coming together in a full-blown mess but yet we worship a healing Savior. And we're healed through that one word, forgiveness. We need it. Oh, how we need the forgiveness of God. Now, here's what I love about this passage. In this particular translation, I've read a bunch of different ones, and it's not the only way to translate this word, but we use the word in the English Standard Version, debt. Give us, or, uh, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I think that's a great term. Other translations may say trespass or sin, but debt helps us to understand that we owe God something. And we don't like to feel that way, right? When God created you, you are already in his debt because you owe to him worship. You owe to him praise. You owe to him obedience. You owe to him to fulfill the purpose of why he's created you. Now, for some of us, that makes us uneasy. But it's not that God is some tyrant who just created us to be slave workers. Everything that we're, we owe to God is a joy when we're not living in sin. It's a joy to praise Him for how good He is when we're walking with Him. It's a joy to be obedient to Him when we see that we've got a purpose and a direction in our life. Sin is what makes it feel like God's a slave driver. When the sin isn't there and we're free to worship God, it, it's the greatest joy of our lives to acknowledge that he's good. I said this a few weeks ago. We're wired to see something that's good and call it out. 
That's why we go on trips to the Grand Canyon. That's why we go to sporting events. That's why people pay $10,000 to sit at the 50-yard line at the Super Bowl. They want to be there at the last moment of the last game so that when the Lombardi Trophy is raised, they can say that I was there when something great happened, and they can call it out. Well, God's greater than the Lombardi Trophy. God is greater than the Grand Canyon. He created it all. And so he wants us to call out his greatness. That's what worship is. That's what praise is. And sin gets in the way. Sin clouds our judgment. Sin tells us the purpose of our life is this self-fulfillment, this finding who we really are. The Bible tells us who we are. We're creatures made in the image of God to worship Him. And when we do, we receive joy. And when we don't, it's because of sin. And because of that, the Bible says we are in His debt. And that debt has to be paid because you're going to stand before God and give an account of what you've done for him in your life. We don't ever think about debt when we think about worshiping God, but the Bible clearly says, forgive us our debts. And this is why I think it's a good thing to say that when we ask God for his forgiveness, we're keeping short accounts with God. We're not letting that debt accrue. We're going to him and say, God, wipe the slate clean. You deserve more than I've given you today. Please forgive me. Help me to be better tomorrow than I was today. Help me to walk further down the road with Jesus tomorrow than I did today. That's forgiveness. And let me say another quick word before we move on. We need to be specific when we ask God to forgive us. Here's, here's something that I think is just a, is something that we wrestle with. We say the words... Forgive us where we fail you. But if we're not careful, those words could be a blanket that cover over where we're really sinning. If you don't confess specifically, then you won't have the urge or the motivation to repent specifically. The more specific you are with God in your prayers, the more specific that He can answer those prayers. You know, when you really want something from God, you get specific about it. How many of you as parents are already getting your Christmas list from your children or your grandchildren? Guess what? On the list, they're not writing whatever you think is fine. No. They're writing exactly what they want down to where you could probably get it and how much it may cost because they don't want any lack of understanding when it comes time to buy presents what you want. Well, what about when we ask forgiveness for our sins? Lord, just forgive us where we fail you. God says, great, where'd you fail me today? Be happy to forgive you. Where'd you fail me? If you admit it to me, I'll forgive you. But you better admit it to me. It helps us to get real with God when we get specific with God. And maybe one illustration to help us with this before we move on to our our final point. So when I was working in baseball as a sportscaster, I traveled the country, mostly on buses, sometimes on airplanes. And I had this fun game where I'd sit in the back with whoever was next to me, and I would try to mimic exactly what the pilot would say during the announcements on the airplane. In fact, I flew Delta and U.S. Airways so many times, I could mimic it almost down to a T. You'd hear something like, Hi, folks, this is your captain speaking. We'll be flying at an altitude today about 15,000 feet, where the current time and temperature in Orlando, Florida, is 754 and 75 degrees. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your flight. On behalf of this whole Georgia-based flight crew, we appreciate you choosing Delta Airlines. Look forward to servicing on a future flight. (laughs) I mean, I've heard it so many times, it just was like over and over and over again. And it would put me to sleep. But there was something that they would do every single flight, and it used to annoy me. 
In fact, it even sounded unchristian-like. So you get to the point in the flight where they show you where the oxygen masks come down from the cabin overhead. And the lady would say, you put it on like this and you tighten it up like this. You're like, okay, I get it. And the last thing they would say every single time is, secure your mask before securing others. Now, on the outside, that sounds unchristian. No, I need to sacrifice myself. I need to put others before myself. Well, guess what? If you don't have your oxygen mask on, there's a limit to what you can do to help other people because you're going to be at oxygen pretty fast. Well, there's a reason why Jesus says we need to be forgiven before we can forgive others. Now, I'm going to get to it in a minute. We need to be willing to forgive others once we are forgiven, but we need to seek forgiveness first. We need to get cleaned up first before we can go and lead others in the same path. We need to secure our oxygen masks before we try to help others with the same thing. So that's number one. Why do we need to receive God's forgiveness? Well, let's look number two real quickly as we start to wrap up. Why do we need to offer God's forgiveness? So it says in the beginning here, and forgive us our debts. Well, the second part is as we also have forgiven our debtors. Something unique about this. This is the only verse in the Lord's Prayer that has a condition attached to it. Think about this. Give us this, Lord, our daily bread. There's no condition. We just want God to give it. Your kingdom, your will, you're the Father. Jesus adds a condition to this one. Forgive us as we forgive others. There's an there's a, there's a assumption there. And the assumption is... If we don't forgive others, we can't expect to be forgiven ourselves. And how do I know this? Well, he didn't say it just in this passage. Let me give you two more to think about. Matthew chapter 6, just a few verses down, 14 through 15, Jesus says this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. There's a condition there. You forgive him, I forgive you. You don't forgive him, I'm not going to forgive you. It's the currency of the kingdom, forgiveness. God says, I'm willing to, to give you what you need, but if you take that and use it for them, I'll keep giving to you. If you stop and it ends with you, I'm going to take it all back. We cannot expect God to forgive us and not forgive others. Another one is Mark chapter 11, verse 25 that says this, and whenever you stand praying, Forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who also is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Same, same idea. If you're asking God to forgive you, one of the first things you can do is get up off your knees and get ready to forgive somebody else. Now, in the essence of time, I was going to read the whole passage, but in the essence of time, I'm just going to make mention of one more passage. And if you have time to read it, uh, when, I, when I did premarital counseling, when Ashley and I received premarital counseling, this verse has, has been the glue that has kept my marriage together. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. I'm not going to read it. I'll just explain it. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Most of you know this as the parable of the unforgiving servant. All right. But let me put this on the bottom shelf here. So here's what happens. You have this unforgiving servant who goes to the king and he says, I know I have this amazing debt, but if you give me a chance, I'll just repay it. Just have mercy on me. And the king, kind of laughing under his breath, realizes this servant is never going to be able to repay him. And he just releases him of the debt. And then what happens? The servant goes out and finds someone that owes them money. And instead of being merciful to them, the servant is unmerciful and the king loses his temper and says, how dare you? Now, here's the irony of this. There's financial terms that are used in that parable. 
The terms are a denarii and a talent. All right? So in this parable, it basically says that the king forgave this servant of, of several ta- 10,000 talents. That's the equivalent today, if you were to look at financial terms, that's the equivalent today of $7.4 billion. Now, guess how much debt was owed to the servant that he was, that he was going after? About $12,000. The denaries, the um, 100 denarii would be equivalent of about $12,000 in today's economy. So here's, here's the thing. The king in, says, you owe me $7.4 billion. You could work for 200,000 years and you would never pay this debt off, but I forgive you. And then he goes out and his friend down the street owes him $12,000 and he chews his head off. That's what we do. When we are forgiven by God and we leave the doors of this church and we refuse to forgive someone who's trespassed against us, we're saying, yes, I need to be forgiven of $7.4 billion, but you better pay me my $12,000. It's as ludicrous as it sounds, and Jesus is using this illustration for that exact reason. He's trying to get us to see if we will not forgive others, it's because we don't realize how desperate we needed Forgiveness. I believe one of the main reasons is we don't really think we're $7.4 billion in debt to God. I, I really don't. I, I think some people, even when they, they ask Christ to forgive them, it's because they read a Bible and maybe you know, people shared the gospel with them, but they never felt the pressing weight of their sin. You, when you were born, inherited a sinful nature from your ancestor, Adam and Eve. And you worked out that sin throughout the course of your life. I did, every, everybody has. For we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Which means we all owe God billions and billions and billions of dollars. And we can't pay it back. We can only be forgiven. But if we're forgiven for that much, we need to forgive for that little. We need to forgive. Let me make this real for just a minute. So, this, oh, this really helped me when I was at seminary. I I remember speaking with a professor and saying, you know, I want to be forgiving in my life. What does it really mean to forgive? Do you forget? Do you pretend like it didn't bother you? How do you make this tangible? Well, I think I have a way that could really make it tangible for us, okay? This is what is called the four promises of forgiveness, and I want you to write these on your heart. And if if you're a note taker, write them on the sheet. All right? I did not come up with these. Uh, Ken Sandy is a Christian author. And has a ministry called Peacemaker. And he's huge on the idea of forgiveness. Here's what he says. If you want to offer forgiveness, you've got to stand on these four promises. Number one, I will not think about this incident anymore. Number two, I'll go, I'll go back to it, I promise. I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. And I'll go back. Number three. I will not talk to others about this incident. Number four, this is a long one. Don't worry, I'll go back. I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. So let me go back to number one. I'll read it real quick and explain what it means. Number one, I will not think about this incident anymore. You know what that means? Does it mean you forget it? No. It means you don't dwell on it. Of course you're not going to forget when someone has deeply hurt you. Some of us have scars that will last the rest of our lives, but there's a difference between forgetting and dwelling. 
If you're going to forgive somebody, it means you're telling them, I'm not going to dwell on this anymore. I'm going to cut it loose. Number two, I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. If I'm not going to dwell on it, then when we get in a future conflict, I'm not going to pull back the past and dump it right into the present. I'm just not going to do it. It's over. It's done. It's as it, as, I'm not going to forget it, but it's as it never happened because I'm not going to use it against you ever again. Number three, I will not talk to others about this incident. How many times have we said that we've forgiven others, but yet we continue to tell other people how much it hurt us? It's not helpful because we haven't really forgiven. And then four, I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. If I'm not going to dwell on it and I'm not going to hold it against you, I need to move forward as if you have not done this. It's the only way that I'm going to let God heal this thing. I'm not saying any of what I just read is easy. It's not. It's not easy. But it's true forgiveness. It's the forgiveness that God's given us. And it's the forgiveness that we have to offer to other people. And maybe one word of warning. We don't need to be false, falsely humble in offering this forgiveness. There are people that think it's somehow ultra spiritual to knock on someone's door and say, I had to forgive you today. That's not helpful. Unless someone has asked you for your forgiveness... You don't have to tell them that you've forgiven them because in a way you are telling them what you've done is wrong, but I've chosen to forgive you. That's not helpful. If somebody says, would you please forgive me? Yeah. You look at them in their eyes and you say, brother or sister, I forgive you. I do. God forgave me. I want to forgive you. But you can forgive someone that doesn't ask to be forgiven. You just don't have to tell them. You can make a decision to not hold it against them, to not dwell on it, to move on, to cut it loose, and to not blame anymore. You know, I said I only had two points. I thought we'd cut this thing short. And here God is just speaking. (sighs) Give me just one minute, please. This is the greatest burden I have. I've been a pastor a year and change. And when you're at seminary, you wonder, what's what's pastoring going to be like? All the classes I've had, evangelism and missions and biblical counseling and theology, all that, all the classes, what does it all boil down to? What am I going to be called to do as the pastor of Cedar Street? Well, in one year, I've done about five times the amount of counseling that I anticipated that I would do. And that's okay because I've, I've been grateful for the opportunity to do it. And I've been counseling people in this church and people who aren't even members of this church for, for so many different reasons. I can't, I couldn't even list them all. Some of them are personal struggles. Some of them are marriage struggles. Some of them are are spiritual, theological struggles. But people come in and out of my office every single day. Let me tell you something. Almost always, 99 times out of 100, when someone comes into my office, they don't really want counsel. What they want to do is convince me why the other person that's giving them conflict is wrong and they're right. Almost always. Not every time, but almost always. And it's because they can't see the debt they have before God. They can't see that they have a debt of $7.4 billion before God. All they see is the debt that the other person owes them. That's all they can see. And then, the, But let me say this. There's, a, there's, a rare, there's rare moments like I've had in the past few weeks. I've had several people come in my office the past few weeks. One in particular last week. I had a man come in my office last week. He walked into my office, he closed the door, he sat down and started weeping. And you know what he said to me? I just want to honor God and I'm struggling, can you help me? 
I'm telling you, when he said those words, I, I almost wanted to scream from the mountaintops and say, brother, you got God's attention now. He said that he was getting angry over certain things and responding in anger. And he didn't even say what those things were. He was acknowledging that his response was wrong. He didn't even want to try to tell me why that was wrong. He just, he just said, I don't want to be this person anymore. Will you help me? And I was there and Steve was still here preaching. We both counseled him for about 20 minutes and left with hugs and handshakes. And I don't know what God's doing in his life, but I can tell you this. He got God's attention. And so will you when you're willing to stand before God and stop making excuses for what other people have done. You're responsible for your life. And I guarantee you it's never, ever, ever, ever 100% somebody else. There's not one divorce in the history of marriage where it's 100% the other person. And you can't change the other person, but you can forgive them. You can change by being forgiven. And let me say this last word as we pray. Revival happens through two things. I said this before revival started. Repentance and prayer. If you truly get on your face before God, or the people of this church get on their face and get serious with God, and start crying warm tears before God saying, I'm not going to think about that anymore. I know what I've done wrong, and I need you to forgive me for what I've done wrong. If we do that, all of us, and we also pray for God to work in our hearts, you're going to see revival in this building, I promise you. Those are the only two things holding us back, repentance and prayer. So let's hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't even get to... uh, The conclusion, the conclusion is just the cross is where we see both our desperation to receive forgiveness from God and a demonstration on how to offer forgiveness to others. So that right there, that's how we do it. We go there and we see that we need forgiveness. And then we see Jesus demonstrating how we offer forgiveness all there on the cross. That's the image that I want to leave you with here today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, there are heavy hearts in this room this morning. I can feel it. Father, I can feel it. But you know it. Father, I pray that even before revival, that forgiveness and mercy would fall upon this church. That people would let go of struggles and and past sins and scars and pain and just seek your forgiveness and offer your forgiveness. Father, I pray you help me to seek you more and to offer your mercy more. Let the words of the Lord Jesus Christ not depart from our hearts as we depart from this building. Father, please come and help us to forgive as you have forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen.